hello everyone. You're here with the Family Medicine Interest Group at UT Southwestern Medical Center. We're your hosts, Ambika Sethi. And I'm Nathan Little. So each week on our podcast, we like to interview a different family medicine physician about their lives, careers, perspectives, and any advice that they'd like to give us medical students. This week, we're joined by our very own Dr. Dan Septum. So Dr. Septum graduated from the Medical College of Virginia in 1997 and went on to complete a residency in family medicine at the University of Texas Health Science Center at San Antonio. After graduating from residency in 2000, Dr. Septum spent six years as a U.S. Air Force flight surgeon. He completed tours of duty at Tyndall Air Force Base in Florida and RAF Lake and Heath in England, after which he joined the faculty at UT Southwestern. He currently serves as Vice Chair for Academics and Family Medicine, as well as the Assistant Residency Program Director for the Southwestern Health Resources Residency Track at Presbyterian Hospital, Dallas. Hey guys, how you doing? Um, I'm Dr. Septum. I uh, have been, well, gosh, at UT Southwestern for a long time, since 2006. Um, and um, since then, I've, I've been in a variety of uh, teaching roles. Uh, I think uh, the one you'll probably be most familiar with and the one I enjoy the most actually is I've been a college's mentor and um, I've also been the clerkship director for the family medicine clerkship for probably six or seven years before I turned that over to somebody else recently. Um, and now I'm one of the associate program directors for the residency program and also the vice chair for academics and family medicine. So That's wonderful. Um, so Dr. Septon, we'll start off with our first section of the interview. Why family medicine? Well, so, you know, when I was sitting in your shoes trying to figure out what to do with my life, um, th there was a couple of things for me that, that uh, attracted me to family medicine. Uh, one was the, the variety uh, of patients that you get to see. And mm -hmm. so I, was, um, I wasn't so thrilled with those specialties where you're sort of stuck with one thing all day long. Um, and I know some people love that. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, but I was sort of a variety junkie. And I liked doing lots of different things. And so um, I was drawn to those specialties that, um, that had you kind of doing lots of different things. So, um, of course, I was interested in uh, family medicine, but also ER, uh, emergency medicine was a big thing at the time as well that I was interested in. Um, and then kind of surprisingly, actually, I really enjoyed OB a lot. So I really thought about OB for a while. Um, and how I uh, eventually kind of landed on family medicine is that um, I just tried different things out. So I remember um, doing some additional OB experiences and, and kind of discovering that, well, at, at the time, and this was um, obviously a while back, um, the specialty was, was going definitely more towards a, a female-oriented uh, type of specialty. And so I didn't, I didn't feel like uh, I was really going to fit in all that well there. And then... Um, with emergency medicine, I really enjoyed that. It was a lot of fun, definitely a lot of variety there. Mm -hmm. uh, the thing I that kept, you know, sort of bothering me about um, emergency medicine was I, I'd get done treating the patients and I'd, I'd never know what happened to them afterwards. Mm -hmm. And so I'd, I'd, I'd want to know, did, did they get better? Did they get worse? You know, mm -hmm. the, so the follow-up wasn't there for me. And of course, you know, if you were, if they got admitted to the hospital, you could look some stuff up, but if you sent them home, you never really know what happened. <laughs> And I also found it a little um, troubling or disheartening how many people ended up using the, the emergency room as their primary care physician, so to speak, you know. Um, I still remember 
uh, one lady uh, when I was working in ER shift, she had been triaged to sort of the, the low priority uh, category. And she basically spent all night in the emergency room with her kids so that we could treat uh, toenail fungus, onychomycosis. Oh. Wow. Um, and, and I asked her, I said, you know, this is a fairly straightforward outpatient problem. Why, why did you come to the ER for this? You know, you could have, you know, gone to see a primary care physician and we, you know, you don't have to spend all night in the ER just for this. So um, she goes, well, I don't have a primary care doctor. And I was like, oh, that's really awful. And so anyways, that was another thing that sort of drew me to primary care and to family medicine was the, the ability to, to kind of hopefully keep people out of the ER and, 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 and you know, try and help them out a little bit like in, in an appropriate setting. And so they don't have to waste their time in the ER and that sort of stuff. You know, and I'm, I'm sure that, you know, looking back on things, I'm, I'm sure ER physicians would actually appreciate that as well. But <laughs> I don't think they want to take care of toenail fungus either. <laughs> so, but anyways, um, you know, that, so that's one thing. And, and the, and of course, as, as I've grown as a family medicine physician, uh, the, that ability to establish, uh, long-term relationships with your patients is the thing that really stands out uh, for me as a primary care doc, as a family physician. So, you know, you take care of patients um, for, you know, 10, 15 years. You really get to know them and become part of their family. I mean, it's humbling when you get invited to like, you know, family barbecues and, you know, football games and stuff like that. And I mean, you politely, you have to decline. If you're I'm sorry, I can't really go, but I really appreciate you thinking of me and inviting me to your party. It's kind of nice, but um, yeah. So, so that's amazing. And then, you know, the, also the ability to, you know, like when you take care of the whole family and you really take care of the whole family, uh, you really get to see the, the family dynamics and interaction together. So it's pretty amazing. Like that you'll be in a room, you know, it might happen to you where you, you get like the grandparents, the older adult children, and then the grandkids, like all in the same room. And that's, that's amazing. Um, and you know, there, there's also some literature out there that suggests that, that family dynamics, uh, play a, a fairly significant part in, in health and well-being. So it's good to, to actually see that in this context. Definitely. I think the way a family interacts with each other definitely has an impact on their mental and emotional health, which manifests in their physical health. So I think. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely one of those specialties. I can see that played out firsthand. Um, So what aspects of your job would you say are like the biggest pros? And then obviously everything has a con as well. So what would be some of the cons of family medicine? So, um, you know, not just, of course, family medicine, but just being in academics. Um, I think one of the pros of being in academics is, is, is being able to teach. So, uh, obviously, if you like to teach, no matter what specialty you go into, then obviously academics is a really good thing. So, I really like teaching medical students, and I really like teaching residents. So, that's an obvious, um, awesome thing. Um, and then, the, you know, in, in actual practice, you know, the the same things that I mentioned to you just a minute ago about what drew me to family medicine to start with are the same things that are the pros in, in family medicine uh, for the most part. I like being in academic practice because I am able to continue to practice a, a greater scope of family medicine than I might, uh, let's say, if I were just in a, in a, a private community clinic all by myself. Um, because the, the family medicine residency training is supposed to encompass the full breadth of family medicine, you know, I still get involved in, 
um, uh, lots of procedures and things. Uh, I still do vasectomies and I still do joint injections and, um, you know, uh, we have an ultrasound curriculum and uh, mm -hmm. occasionally when our uh, OB person is not available, you know, I have to take care of pregnant ladies as, as well, which is um, not something I do much, but still, you know, that, that being able to do that and, and, you know, take care of kids when they come in for their well child checks and mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing. And then we also spend um, a few weeks a year uh, on our inpatient service. We have two inpatient services, one at Parkland and one at um, the Presbyterian Hospital. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, the ability to, to, to take care of patients of a, uh, a bit more sicker acuity, if you will, and then to kind of, you know, still maintain my inpatient privileges as well. Like, you know, I still do thoracentesis and paracentesis and, and LPs uh, and things like that when needed. So um, I think that's, uh, that's the coolest thing about being, you know, in the, in the current practice that I'm in, just uh, being able to maintain that breadth and scope of practice is, is pretty cool. Um, downsides, well, you know, I, I don't think the downsides that I'm going to tell you are, are unique to family medicine. I think they're probably uh, common in, in, in many branches of medicine and, and, and certainly in primary care. But the paperwork, uh, whether it's electronic paperwork or, uh, you know, um, uh, real physical paperwork, um, is, is, is hasn't gotten any better. <laughs> That's still a beast. Um, you know, the, the problem is that every time you see a patient in clinic, if you spend, you know, 20 minutes with them or whatever, you're going to generate probably about 10 minutes of uh, additional work on the backside of things. Uh, you know, not at the very least, you know, just writing your, your clinic note. Um, and then there may be other things that flow out from that. If your patient, you know, uh, has any kind of home health, you're going to have paperwork to fill out. If they, uh, if they need, um, you know, uh, let's say a, a dart pass or something like that, or a disability placard or, you know, for their car or whatever, you know, all that stuff that is going to come back to you. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the downside to, to all of medicine is the administrative uh, burden. Do you also feel that the 15 to 20 minute patient interaction kind of affects the way you do your practice? So that can be tough. Um, it really is difficult. Um, and the way I sort of manage it, and it doesn't always work out that well, right? You know, sometimes I run a little late, sometimes I'm on time. Uh, but the way I try and manage it is the, the patients that are, you always get a mix of patients that come in to see you. And the ones that are really straightforward and easy, I try not to drag those appointments out, right? I like just like if there's like if you have a cold and, and you want me to just treat your cold, I'm going to treat your cold because I know, you know, two or three patients down the line, there may be somebody that's having, you know, a, a major depression recurrence, a nervous breakdown that's going to just melt on me, you know, and going to take, you know, 45 minutes to kind of put back together. Mm -hmm. uh, and so um, even though the, the appointment times, you know, are, uh, you know, 20 minutes or 15 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever it is, I sort of look at those as, general guidelines. Yeah, no, that's true. I think that's a good way to look at it because a lot of us as students get scared by the idea of not having enough time with our patients. And that's one of the factors I think that deters some of the students from pursuing. Yeah. Yeah, you know, the other thing that's great about uh, family medicine and, and to a certain degree, all of primary care is the fact that you like, I'm not expected and I don't expect myself and I don't, and I, and I tell my patients this too. I say like, like, if you're a complicated patient, I'm not going to be able to take care of everything that you have today in one 20-minute visit. This is not possible. I mean, part of having a primary care doc is developing the relationship with that doctor. And what that means is I have to see you back again. 
like multiple times. So for complicated patients, I kind of expect that, you know, it's going to take me three, four, five, you know, six visits. It just depends on, you know, how complicated they are to really kind of uh, get a handle on things and the patient's condition and kind of get things kind of back in order, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, that way I, I don't feel so like, um, what's the right word? I, I, don't, I don't feel pressured to, to have to be perfect every time. Like if I forget something, like say, oh, I should have ordered a flu vaccine, you know, for the patient just going, that's okay. I'll just catch it, you know, in a month when they come back and see me or something like that, you know. That's fair. That's totally fair. So our last question for this part, what does your day-to-day life look like? So um, day-to-day life in uh, academic family medicine is really variable. And and that is, once again, I I told you that I like a lot of variety in my uh, work and and I like variety in my schedule as well. So that's that's one of the advantages of being in academics is I don't, uh, you know, I don't have to be in clinic uh, every single day of the week. Basically, they, they, they break my uh, schedule down into half-day sessions. And so if you, you know, look at five days a week and you break that into two half-day sessions, so that's 10 sessions. So about three to four of those sessions, I'll be involved in something clinical, okay. um, meaning that I'll either be seeing my own patients or I will be supervising residents and medical students seeing patients, you know, in a, in a resident or, or student clinic, right? Mm-hmm. So that happens uh, three or four times a week. Um, then I'm involved in uh, didactic type teaching lectures and type that sort of thing, at least that one half day a week. And the other time is allotted over to uh, administrative tasks and duties, um, meetings, um, you know, being part of a residency uh, administration means that I'm, I'm responsible for a lot of educational components uh, for our residents. So that, that often means I have to go meet with, with other people and uh, either try and set up a new rotation for something, or if something's not going well with a rotation, I have to go try and troubleshoot it and, and that sort of stuff. So it just means a lot of networking and meeting with lots of other people. We're going to move on kind of to the next session of the interview, which kind of discusses the specifics of your practice. Um, okay. And you've touched on stuff like this already, so it, we might rehash a little bit. But um, my first question is, what kind of populations do you work with in your current practice? Right. So um, once again, being in academics allows me a great uh, breadth and scope of the patient populations that I'm able to treat. So I work in uh, a variety of different clinical environments. So the one that uh, you guys are going to be most familiar with, of course, is the Parkland patient population. So I treat patients uh, and see patients at the, the Parkland Family Medicine Clinic. And those are, you know, uh, traditionally um, underserved, uh, Hispanic, and uh, lower socioeconomic means. That's a, a humbling and, and wonderful patient population to treat. They're so grateful uh, for, for everything that you bring to them. Yeah, it's very um, fulfilling to, to be able to, to try and bring hope to people sometimes that are, you know, just kind of really have a tough situation. And it's also inspiring to see some of the things that they're able to accomplish really with, with the limited resources that they have. So that's, that's a wonderful patient population to work with. It, it's obviously difficult. I mean, there's a lot of issues going on there, but, it, but it's also fulfilling in its own way. Mm-hmm. Um, I also uh, see patients at our Presbyterian clinic, which is a UT Southwestern clinic. Um, and the UT Southwestern clinic uh, primarily treats patients that have insurance of some sort or another. And so um, there I get sort of the opposite end of the spectrum, you know, so we take care of uh, patients who are um, 
university employees of one sort or another. Uh, sometimes there are other faculty members, um, residents and medical students uh, as well are, are actually patients there as well. So um, you kind of see the opposite end of, of, of things there. Uh, so so that's, that's pretty cool. And then of course I do some volunteer work at the Agape Clinic where we, we treat uh, once again sort of more Hispanic underserved patients. Um, you know, and you guys know that's a free clinic, so student run free clinic. Awesome. So you've talked a lot about like variety and how appealing that is to you in this interview. Um, I just have a personal question here. So apart from all the variety, what would you consider some of the bread and butter cases of your practice? So bread and butter cases, I think are kind of bread and butter, family medicine, primary care cases everywhere. So um, there's the, the usual outpatient infections, right, that they come to the door. So there's your cold, you know, your viral URIs, and, and, and sometimes you have bronchitis and pneumonias and that sort of stuff. But, um, and, and it's all, by, by the way, I should mention all of this stuff is seasonal, right? So um, uh, some of things, some of the things that we, we see are, are more prevalent during certain times of year and other times of year, not so much. Um, so allergies and, and things like that are kind of kicking up you, you about this time of year, usually in the spring and the fall. So we see a fair number of people with allergies, allergy-related symptoms. Um, Chronic conditions, obviously, we take care of those as well. So, you know, people with hypertension, essential hypertension, diabetes, uh, hyperlipidemia, take care of all those patients. Uh, patients with coronary artery disease, congestive heart failure, all that stuff as well. So those, those are all very common things that we see. Um, a lot of common GI problems as well, uh, gastroesophageal reflux disease. Um, so those are sort of the kind of more bread and butter cases that we see in family medicine. The more difficult cases, a lot of times are challenging just from a, a resource standpoint, um, trying to get patients the resources that they need. For instance, um, you know, we, we have patients that, that come to see us that have a, some congenital uh, issues, you know, uh, patients with like um, fragile X syndrome or Duchenne's muscular dystrophy. Um, I even had a, or not even, I still have a patient that had, um, Vader syndrome, V-A-T-E-R syndrome, and basically all his organs are flipped, so everything's on the other side. So, I mean, those are fun cases to, like, from a physical exam standpoint, when I'm working with a medical student, they're great, because you're like, hey, go listen to this guy's heart, <laughs> you know, and so you can, you, you know, so that's kind of cool from that standpoint, but really the issue, you know, trying to get these patients what they need from a resource standpoint is hard, because they need to see specialists. Uh, there's some things that, you know, as a primary care doc, I I'm not going to be the definitive expert in, and I need to refer to specialists in uh, trying to make sure that uh, the patients are plugged into the right kind of specialists. It, it, it can be difficult for the more unique cases. I think what is most fun uh, as a clinician, as a diagnostician, are those patients that come in with some not very straightforward complaint that you have to figure out. Yeah, yeah. Um, and those those can be like just from a diagnostic standpoint, a lot of fun. And it, it can be really um, gratifying if you can figure out what's going on and then affect a treatment that's actually that actually works, you know, uh, and the patients come back and are very thankful that you kind of figured it out. Um, so that that's kind of cool. And, and that happens as well. So in, in any day in clinic, you just never know what's going to walk through the door. I'm, I'm fond of saying that, you know, um, when you're in a family medicine clinic, it's, it's like that old Forrest Gump thing, you know, it's kind of like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. So. Awesome. Love that. 
Love that. Okay. Um, so I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. In your bio, I mentioned that you served in the Air Force for six years. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your experience there? Yeah, sure. So when I was going through medical school, I, uh, I needed some way to finance uh, said educational endeavor. And I uh, always had uh, sort of a, an interest in the military anyways. So after I was accepted to med school, I applied to a couple of different uh, of the armed services and the Air Force was basically the, the first one that sort of uh, came back with a yes answer. So I accepted that. So I was a, in medical school, I was an HPSP student. And for the most part, that meant a fairly minimal commitment uh, to the military. Um, I did have to spend my summers with the Air Force. So I, uh, I think the first summer I went to um, what they call commissioned officer training, which is basically where you learn how to put on a uniform and salute and kind of do all the things that are expected of you as a, as a military officer. Um, the summers after that, I went and sort of uh, spent a month at, at different bases around the country and, and sort of explored different fields. Like I would you know, I would basically get a military physician working at a certain base as a sponsor, and then I'd go kind of work with that person for a month. Um, you know, I think I did a couple of rotations in primary care that way, that sort of thing. Um, so in residency, I was actually deferred out for the military for residency, which means that I was allowed to do a civilian residency. So for that, I didn't really have to do much other than um, they, they sent me a form once a year that I had to sign and, and conf, you know, confirm that I was still alive and, and still in good standing uh, with my residency program. Um, and then when I got out of residency, that's when I had to go back in the military and pay back my time. And it was a very interesting situation. And so I, I fully expected to, to come back into the Air Force and be a family doc and work at a local base uh, somewhere. And it was a, a bizarre year where um, they had too many family physicians that were, were coming on online. Um, I'm not sure that's ever happened again. I, anyways, um, because I was deferred out uh, from the military for residency, I was sort of last on the totem pole for assignments um, in terms of priority. And so I remember the assignment, I, I was waiting for my assignment. Where am I going to go? And the assignment officer called me up and said, hey, I got a problem. I'm like, oh, great. This is wonderful. Good. I don't have a, a, a billet for you, which in, in military speak, that means I don't have a spot for you anywhere. So I go, you just going to let me go then? Like, am I out? <laughs> <laughs> and they go, of course not. He says, how about if you uh, go be a flight surgeon? And I go, what's that? Yeah. So it, it takes me a while to figure it out because it, you know, immediately I'm thinking, like, I'm not a surgeon. Like, I'm, I'm going to do surgery in, a, in an airplane or something like that. What are you talking about? Right. So as it turns out, um, the term surgeon in the military is a holdover from, like, uh, historical days. Let's say, like, you know, the 1800s when every physician in the military was a surgeon because um, – in, in wartime situations, uh, people would get injured. They didn't have antibiotics and things of that nature. So if you got shot in the leg or the arm, in order to, to save the life of the patient, in, in order to prevent you know, a, a septic infection where the patient got shot, you pretty much had to cut the arm off or, or cut the leg off or whatever it was. So every 
every physician at that time was called a surgeon. And so that, that term still holds over in the military. So all flight surgeon means is just flight physician. As I uh, explored it a little bit more, what I found out was a, a flight surgeon really is just a primary care physician that happens to take care of people that fly. And because all of your patients are on flying status, you have to be very familiar with the regulations um, regarding uh, being able to fly safely uh, from a health standpoint. So there's lots of medications that you can't take and be a pilot, you know. Um, so you have to be aware of those and medical conditions that you have to be aware of. If a pilot develops any sort of medical condition uh, that, you know, would potentially lead to uh, them not being able to control the aircraft, you know, that's a concern. So you have to be aware of all those rules and regulations. Um, and then uh, as a side benefit for, to, to being a flight surgeon is that you actually have to go fly yourself. That was kind of cool. I was like, this is good. Yeah, so what happened wow. is, um, so, so pilots, uh, particularly um, military pilots, are a bit of a, um, a cliquish group, I guess you could say, um, <laughs> and suspicious of, of outsiders. Right. And um, the, uh, the flight surgeon is one of the few people on base that is relatively low ranking in, in the grand scheme of things, but can still yank your wings and, and uh, basically make it so that you can't fly. So, you know, if, 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 a, uh, if a pilot comes to see me and I determine that they have a, a medical condition which is not compatible with flying, I can say, dude, you're, you're you know, I'm going to take you off flying duties for a while until we get this resolved. So in order to build up trust and rapport with the patients, uh, your, your, your pilots, uh, you're expected to go fly with them. So that was kind of a cool thing. So I had to, um, I had to pass a flight physical, um, which I'm blind as a bat. So I had to get a waiver for, uh, for my eyesight, but other than that, uh, uh, it was cool. And then they send you to a, uh, a training course called the aerospace medicine primary course, uh, where you kind of learn all the rules and regulations regarding flying and you, you get into some, um, aerospace medicine type of topics. Uh, you learn about flight physiology and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, and so then my very, so after that, my very first assignment was at, at Tyndall Air Force Base, which um, I don't think exists anymore because I think one of the hurricanes a couple of years ago, uh, Catherine or something, or one of the hurricanes kind of wiped it off the face of the earth. Um, it's, um, so uh, Tyndall Air Force Base is uh, near Panama City, Florida, and it sits right in the Gulf of Mexico, and it, it gets smacked uh, by hurricanes. Anyways, uh, so Tyndall was a, an F-15 uh, training base. And so one of the coolest things I ever got to do is uh, I got to fly on all sorts of fighter aircraft. So, um, yeah, you know, all the stuff that, you know, is in, you know, Top Gun kind of thing, you know, I got, I got to do some of that stuff, which is really cool. You know, it's like the greatest roller coaster ride ever. That's very cool. Yeah. And so after my... Uh, my tour of duty uh, at Tyndall, I was sent to RAF Lake and Heath, um, which is uh, in the United Kingdom. And it's, um, if you've ever been to, to England before, it's near Cambridge. It's about mm, 45 minutes northeast of Cambridge. And uh, that was a great experience, um, living uh, in a foreign country, um, even though the 
the English speak English. It's a different kind of English. <laughs> and uh, they do things a little differently, um, obviously driving on, on the other side of the road um, and that sort of thing. So it was a good experience and it was a great uh, jumping off point to explore the rest of Europe. So um, on the weekends, you know, we would uh, go down to Stansted, which is one of the smaller airports in London, uh, catch a Ryanair flight to wherever it was cheap. It, basically, it's the equivalent of, you know, going down to Love Field and finding the cheapest flight anywhere and getting on Southwest Airlines and, and, and flying wherever for the weekend. Nice. You know, so we used to do that. Um, the, the um, you know, the, the difference is, you know, the, the destination, right? Because you're in Europe. I mean, we went to Venice for the weekend. Like, who does that, right? That sounds amazing. Wow. It was a, it was a, it was a really cool time. Um, looking back on my experience in the military, um, uh, you know, being able to, to take care of that patient population was, was truly a privilege. Uh, those, those guys do some amazing things and I have immense respect for professional pilots. Uh, now, um, my day-to-day -day life as a flight surgeon was basically doing lots of, uh, flight physicals every day. Um, and then we also took care of the, the dependents of the pilots. So we, we took care of uh, the wives and, um, kids and that sort of stuff. So it was pretty much primary care, you know, we, we took care of all the usual, you know, coughs, colds, uh, school physicals, all that kind of stuff. Um, one of the other nice or interesting things about uh, flight medicine was that you're also sort of a de facto um, public health and safety officers on base. So we got to uh, inspect uh, all the food service facilities on the base and stuff like that. So that's very interesting. I mean, if you've ever done that before, uh, there's lots of guidelines and regulations regarding uh, restaurants and how they're supposed to operate and stuff like that. So that was a definitely an interesting thing. Uh, when I got to Lake and Heath, because um, I'd already had one tour of duty down, I was considered the senior flight surgeon. Like after three years, I'm like, are you kidding me? Anyway, so I got I got put in charge of things <laughs> at that point, um, right. which was sort of my first step uh, into leadership and administration. In, in the medical realm. Um, and so, yeah, I, I man, ended up managing two clinics, um, two flight medicine clinics. They were separated by about six miles from each other. One was at uh, RAF Mildenhall, um, and the other was at RAF Lake Heath. And we probably, between the two bases, we, we, we had a uh, flying population, I think, of around like 5,000 people. Um, right. I think if you threw their, you know, their dependents into the, the mix, it was patient population of close to um, 10,000 or something like that. But anyways, so it was, it was a busy, busy time, but, uh, yeah, that was, that was the military. Um, it, it had its good parts. The, the down part was, you know, I kept, uh, having to, to go on these trips all the time. Uh, there was, you know, uh, like field exercises, you know, that the base would have, and you'd have to go here or there. The, the, the fighter squadrons would go places for exercises and you'd have to go. And, uh, pretty much after a while, my wife was like, Hey, you know what? you've paid your time back and honey, you're going to have to make a choice. It's either me or the military. you got to pick. So <laughs> you know which one won out. There you go. Uh, was it difficult transitioning from military life back to civilian lifestyle and personally as well as medical practice? So medical practice was certainly a little different. Um, obviously in the military, your patients are generally young and healthy. Um, if you get, you know, really sick and, in the military with some chronic medical condition, um, you're going to get boarded out, meaning that the, the military is going to separate you out uh, because you're not mission ready, you know. 
Um, so, it, you know, adjusting to the, uh, the patient population that's a little bit sicker, um, and that, that was a, you know, took a little bit of an adjustment. I don't think it was, was uh, too much of a shock, but, but yeah, it definitely, um, definitely took some adjustment. I think the biggest kind of adjustment happened when I, when I came back to sort of attend on the Parkland inpatient service for the very first time after having, you know, not been out of it, you know, not taking care of patients that sick for, for a while. Cause uh, you know, the, the patients on, on, they get admitted to Parkland and some of them are really, really sick. Right. You know, so um, that was a bit of an adjustment, but other than that, the, the outpatient clinic part wasn't that bad. Uh, from a personal standpoint, um, you know, adjusting back to civilian life, um, wasn't too difficult. Um, the, you know, if you look back at the history of UT Southwestern, a lot of the original, um, founding fathers, if you were the physicians that were from, that, that started UT Southwestern or Southwestern Medical College at the time, were actually in the military first. And so a lot of the systems and things that were, uh, that are set up and still propagated within UT Southwestern are uncannily similar to the way things used to run in the Air Force. Interesting. So uh, that, that wasn't that much of a transition. It was a little bit, but, but, not, but not too bad. Um, I think the thing that uh, kind of struck me the most was I, I, I had sort of taken some things for granted. I, did, I probably shouldn't have, but, you know, you, you take some things for granted, um, when you're, the benefits that you get while you're in the military, and then when you're out, you know, you don't get those benefits anymore, and you're like, wow, that really hurts. You know, like um, health care. Like all of a sudden, you know, having to purchase health care for an entire family every month, that, that's expensive, you know? And in the military, you, you get it for free and you don't have to worry about it, but uh, yeah. So there were a few things like that, but by and large, it wasn't too bad. That's fair, that's fair. Um, yeah, you mentioned that Southwestern has some similar aspects to the military. I'm pretty certain that it was started as like military barracks, like old military barracks, but little fun fact. Uh, anyway, uh, what's Dr. Septim or some of the projects or your current interests right now? Yeah, like a lot of family physicians, I'm sort of all over the place. <laughs> so once again, as an, as an academic uh, physician, I'm definitely uh, more interested in academic type of research pursuits, meaning that uh, I don't do a lot of uh, clinical research, if you will. Like I don't, you know, research what's the best antihypertensive medicine for diabetic patients. You know, that's not something I, I get into. But what I'm, I'm very interested in is um, teaching and the best way to to teach not just medical students but 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 residents as well. And that whole uh, progression uh, and development from sort of starting medical student all the way up to you know, graduating resident and even beyond that into, into faculty, you know, and beyond. So I do a lot of stuff uh, with regard to that. Um, uh, one of the um, kind of biggest projects I'm involved in right now is with the Coalition for Physician Accountability. Uh, I'm on a, a smaller committee that's looking at the transition 
process from medical school to residency. The Committee of Honest is sort of a, like a think tank right now. And we're trying to figure out if there is a better way to, to make this happen. Um, and so we'll, we'll see uh, what comes of that. Uh, you know, on a, on, a, on a smaller level, on a less, I mean, that's really pie in the sky stuff, but, but on, a, on a smaller level, on a more, you know, um, daily level, I'm always uh, involved in educational endeavors. Like we're trying to introduce a new ultrasound curriculum for our residents into the residency program. Um, and uh, we're trying to, to beef up our obstetrics experience for the residents as well. Um, so there's always a lot of little small educational projects running as well. Awesome, I appreciate it, thank you. I think I'll hand the reins back over to Amaka to ask a couple questions. Our last part is just general advice for us medical students. I guess the main one I'd like to ask is, what would you tell students who are debating between internal medicine and family medicine? So first, let me start by saying that um, the, the family medicine department uh, at, at Southwestern and internal medicine department have a, a really good working relationship. Um, I um, am good friends with, with lots of uh, the internal medicine faculty, so I've, I've got no ax to grind here. <laughs> <laughs> Let me just put that out there, okay? Uh, I love internal medicine. Um, I, I would, so there's, there's kind of two things to look at. One is, you know, where do you want to end up? Uh, like, where do you see yourself practicing at the end of the day? If you think that you want to go into one of the subspecialties that you have to do internal medicine to get to, then obviously you got to go through internal medicine, right? So, if you said, well, I w really want to be a cardiologist or a gastroenterologist, well, I mean, there's no, you don't really have any choice. You're going to have to go through internal medicine to get there, right? Um, the same thing holds true for family medicine in, in the sense there are some um, fellowships that you can do uh, through family medicine. Uh, and, and, you know, there's, there, there's some other routes to get there as well, but but in general, family medicine is one of the bigger ways to get there. So like um, a lot of non-operative sports medicine physicians generally do family medicine first and then they go into a sports medicine fellowship and things like that. So th those are some deciding factors there. If you, if you have a sort of a, a niche that you want to end up in, you know, something to think about there. If on the other hand, you just said, hey, you know, I'm just going to do uh, general outpatient primary care. Mm -hmm. Uh, I got to admit, there is not a ton of difference between internal medicine and family medicine um, in a daily practice uh, of uh, general outpatient primary care. Um, there are some minor differences. Um, family medicine docs tend to be a little more procedurally oriented. So, you know, um, and this is not, once again, this is just a, uh, this is not true of every, every family medicine doc or every internal medicine doc for that matter. But, you know, your family doc tends to do more MSK type procedures. So we're more comfortable doing joint injections, um, casting and splinting and, and that sort of stuff. Um, your family doc is generally going to be more comfortable with the, the OB type, I mean, not the OB, but the, the gynecologic type procedures as well. You know, we're, we don't shy away from doing pap smears and uh, colposcopies and, uh, you know, putting in IUDs and Nexplanons and stuff like that. It's all 
that's all bread and butter for us, which, you know, your internal medicine doc, some of them won't, won't, won't do that sort of stuff. So it really, it, 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 it kind of depends on the, you know, where you're practicing and the scope of practice at the clinic that you're in and, and stuff like that. Um, but in terms of the ability to establish long-term relationships with your patients over years, that's the same in both cases. That's going to, you're going to get that either way. So I really think it, it probably has to do with scope of practice. You know, what, what, what is your, when you do outpatient primary care, what do you want your scope of practice to be? If you want to limit it to um, primarily adults, outpatient, then, you know, internal medicine is great. Uh, but if you still want to preserve that ability to take care of kids um, and maybe do additional procedural type stuff, then, you know, family medicine is probably the, the thing you want to look at. Like I said, that's not true for everywhere. It just depends on the residency you're at. Then, you know, there's some residency, even internal medicine residencies that are more procedurally oriented. So you just kind of, kind of feel it out. It's tough uh, sometimes to know that ahead of time. So some of the procedures you mentioned um, previously, like you did paracentesis and thoracentesis, are those within the scope of what family physicians can do? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. As long as you have inpatient privileges, yeah, it's not a problem. Obviously, you, but mo uh, most of us are not doing paracentesis or thoracentesis or LPs in the clinic. Um, right, inpatient. I, I know some people do. I, I know some people do, but but I don't. <laughs> I usually wait and do those in the hospital, uh, but yeah, I mean, as long as uh, as long as you have hospital privileges, you know, I think you know that's something to think about too, as far as uh, training goes. You know, if you, um, you know, uh, family medicine residency training is typically more outpatient focused. Internal medicine residency training is typically more inpatient focused. So, if you discovered that you had a, a love for general inpatient medicine, then obviously you want to do internal medicine. Um, if on the other hand, you're like, well, I don't, you know, I don't really see myself in the hospital as much. Then, then probably, you know, focusing on an outpatient type of, you know, uh, practice, you know, an experience that you'll get through family medicine is probably the way to go. So, you know, I don't think there's a right way, like a, a hard and fast, this is always right, wrong. It's really a very individual decision. Students, you know, this is better, this is worse. It just depends on you. Depends on the person, definitely. Last question. What do you think is stopping a lot of medical students from pursuing family medicine? And um, how can we kind of encourage more students to look into it? Well, um, so to look at things from a, a more, you know, macro level, and this includes all primary care, I think students are somewhat dissuaded from doing primary care of any sort these days due to, to um, debt load and uh, potential reimbursement, you know, in terms of income later on, um, you know, the, the debt load's pretty tough these days for med students. So when you come out 200, $250,000 in the hole, um, you know, you, you're going to probably look at a, a, a specialty that's going to give you the income to be able to pay that back. Now, that being said, there's been lots written about this um, in, in all sorts of primary care literature. And it is possible to pay back that student loan and still be in primary care, but you have to be very disciplined uh, about how you manage your money. So, uh, but that's possible. Um, but that's, um, I think that's one thing in a, in a broad general scheme of things. Um, I think exposure is a, uh, one um, thing at, 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 at UT Southwestern that, that's an issue. 
Um, so, and I think the other thing is, to more or less a degree, uh, I think perceived level of prestige as a, as a specialty, uh, I think to be honest, is, is an issue. Um, and you know, that's not everywhere. It just happens to be that, that UT Southwestern was founded by internists and they did a lot of wonderful things and uh, they have every right to, to be proud of all the things that they've done and everything that they've built up uh, here at UT Southwestern. And family medicine uh, as a department uh, didn't get started at UT Southwestern until about like uh, 90, early 90s, like, like 93, 92, something or other like that. So in the grand scheme of, of uh, UT Southwestern history, uh, we're still kind of a, a new kid on the block, uh, mm -hmm. if you will. And even then, when, it, when the, the family medicine department started it in um, the early 90s, uh, it was basically one family doc and one administrative person. That was it. So it was like a really small department. Wow. Um, and so being a small department um, and not really being part of things that it started off, you know, means that, you know, we don't have as, as much prestige as, uh, as someone – uh, you know, some departments like internal medicine, for instance, where, you know, they got Don Selden, who's like the father, of, you know, internal medicine and stuff like that. And, he, you know, did so much for the, the university and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we just don't have that kind of history, you know? Yeah. And, and that's, that's, um, like I said, that's just, uh, this just here at UT Southwestern, locally speaking, like there are some uh, medical schools, medical institutions in the country where, you know, family medicine is, is like the powerhouse and it's flipped because they family docs started the school family docs are the integral in everything that they ever did. So like, if you look at uh, uh, medical schools in the Northwest, uh, Oregon health sciences university, um, you know, uh, places like that, you know, family medicine is very strong there. Um, so it, it's, it's, um, it kind of de depends a little bit on local circumstances. So. Well, that was the end of the interview, Dr. Septim. Thank you so much for sharing all that wonderful information with us. Any last words? Um, yeah, no, so I, what I would say is that um, if you're interested in family medicine, get involved in the FMIG, explore it all you, all you possibly can. Um, it's been a, it is a great specialty. I think it has a lot to offer the American healthcare system as a whole um, and has been undervalued. Uh, and um, if you're interested in family medicine, um, I'd say don't let the peer pressure or whatever here at Southwestern get you down, so to speak, because if you, you know, if you tell people you're interested in family medicine, uh, there, there's plenty of people that will try and talk you out of it. Um, and I don't think that, um, I don't think that's necessarily right. Uh, obviously as a family doc, I enjoy what I do and I have a wonderful, uh, quality of life where I wouldn't keep doing it. Right. You know, um, so if, uh, if family medicine is what speaks to your heart, then, uh, then, then basically come hang with us so you can draw, draw your energy from the family medicine department because we're here for you. So anyways, that's what I'd say. Thank you so much, Dr. Septim. See you later.